0: Craig McEwen probably thought he'd be managing Glen Afton again this season, but when the Glen's committee changed their mind and chose not to play this term, he decided it was time to move on. But 10 days later, hardworking Craig was installed as St Caddack's new boss, and they'd won five of their last six heading into the latest lockdown. We'll hear how he's found things at McKenna Park and reflect on his 10 years and travel success at Lock Park. As a player, Craig still has one of the highest appearance records for Scotland's under-21s. Back then, he was in the same sides as the likes of Barry Ferguson and Lee McCulloch. According to the Sincadex boys, he's always reluctant to talk about it, though. Craig had spells as a fullback at Clyde, Wraith, Eyre, Dumbarton, Breakin and Stenhousemuir before moving into the juniors with Linlithgow Rose, Pollock and, of course, Glen Afton. Craig tells his players he made a living out of having shockers and he's been known to wear his wife's underwear in the changing room from time to time. We're hoping he won't get his knickers in a twist as we go down the divisions. Great good spot, Gareth, cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Good to have you along for another 60 minutes or so looking at Scotland's lower leagues. But Paul, we say it every week, another week, another week without football. Should it just be cold now?
1: Do you know what you get the glimmer of hope? So we get fixtures put out Uh, after after last week's show. I think we went on, and and it's this new revised uh, fixtures we get, and you know it does give you that wee glimmer of hope, and you're thinking, do you know what we could just, you know, if we just get X amount of games out. And Kenny Young, we made a point last week on the show, I think, saying that you know we were trying to get maybe each team to play each other at least once to get a decider. Kenny kind of straightened that up with an email he put out by saying, no, their plan is to get the, you know, the season to an end, to a conclusion. My only thoughts now is this time last year, or maybe in a couple of weeks' time, we stopped the league. and We give out a league title to, you know, in some leagues, teams only played 14 games and won a league title. I would hate to see that. In the, in the first year of this West of Scotland league that should be, and we were speaking off so it should be something special. Uh, I can't criticise the guys from the IMG who's running the league, who are trying their hardest. They want to go back, but it now needs to be the powers that be that, that, that make the decision. Scottish Government today announced we're going to be in lockdown to the end of February. I don't even think that's a Scottish Government call, I think this is an SFA call. An SFA, I either need to say, well, are we going back or we're not. League one, league two, they're talking about testing once a week. Well, if that comes into our level, we, we, we I'm talking of our club, we certainly, I don't think, we'd be able to do that. So, I'd like to think, just make a call on it now. I don't want it to become a farcical situation where we go back It's a bit stop-start, eh, and and we only get not even fourteen games played this year because I don't I don't think you can I don't want to dilute the product before it's even out there and I think we've got a real opportunity next year if things are showing signs of going back and the vaccines are all in and maybe we can get one or two through the through the gates again I think we could go for it and, and make the West of Scotland something special
0: I'm sure we'll uh, we'll discuss that subject a bit more when we when we get talking to craig shortly a quick word for our sponsors media agency 44 creative if you're looking for photographers graphic designers videographers or video editors to help promote your content brand organization or event then they'd love to hear from you they make creation personal find out more at www.44creativehq.com and we'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too Back to the show, and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is down the at gmail.com. That's down the at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hi,
1: my name is Jamie Nesbitt, manager of Thornerwood United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions.
0: St. Cadex boss Craig McEwen is on the show this week. Thanks for being with us, Craig. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having us. Great to be on. We'll, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. So this week, we'll bring you in on this one as, as well, Craig. Uh, we'll keep your answers till the end of the show, but um, see what you think to this one. We're looking for the club that has won the Scottish Junior Cup on two occasions. One of their wins is still a joint record margin in a Scottish Junior Cup final. A win in a round of the Senior Scottish Cup in 2016 was the biggest scoreline in the competition since 1984. And they were promoted to the Lowland League in 2019. Got an idea, Craig?
2: Yeah, Joe, you know I listen to all these questions and I think I've got them. I've got them. Um, I'm confident I've got this one, but all right. the, the proof's in the pudding. Come the end of the show.
0: Pop, pop, Paul's got a blank face there.
2: Oh, no
1: idea.
0: <laughs> it's not Clyde anyway, like last week.
1: Ah, uh, I know what. Do you know what? That's the thing. Is I gave you a really easy one last week. Fair play, Willie got it wrong, and he played for them.
0: <laughs> he did <to> fair. I <laughs> will we'll find out the answer to this one at the end of the show. My name is John McEwen, manager of Short Spawn Accord, and you're listening to Down the Division. Syncadix manager Craig McEwen is with us. Well, first of all, Craig, what we, we talked to, to Paul there at the start about the, the current lockdown. What have you been doing with the free weekends?
2: To be honest with you, I've spent most of it out doing walking the dog and walks with the family. Um, and I'm at a stage now, it's becoming brutal. I'm fed up with it. I'm absolutely bored. Um, it, it, my, my Saturdays and Sundays consist of get up early, sort the kids, go for a walk, come home, shopping. My wife bakes. I sit and moan at the kids all day because I'm bored and frustrated with nothing to do. So, yeah, it's... It's it's been tough. I must admit, I when you're involved with City Paul for you, you're involved with in football for so long, um, I think it's hard to take that away from you. The weekends are for football, um, and I've been brought up. That's my weekends have been all about football. So when you don't have that football, um, I suppose the next best thing is the amount of games that are on the TV just now. But, but some of the dross that's been served up down in the the so-called best league in the world down south um, is actually. Me any more depression than anything else. Um, so, yeah, just try to keep as active as possible um, and, and just try to engage with my players as much as possible, to be honest with you, without overkill um, and just keeping them ticking over towards be you because, as Paul said, you live in hope that we get back to playing sooner rather than later.
1: Craig, obviously, you say you keep in touch with your players. What kind of things are you, are you getting them to do? Are you, you put them on programmes or have you? Is it just a case of letting the lads get on with their own type of thing?
2: Uh, No, to be honest, ever since we've stopped, we've had programmes continuously, to be honest with you. So we've got a combination of specific football-related drills that they'll do. Um, There's combinations of uh, advanced gym programmes and stuff like that. So we can uh, try and structure it week to week, um, to be honest with you, to try and give them different options are different things to do because I mean it's not all about doing 5Ks and battling the streets and 5Ks and 10Ks I must admit if I was a player and my manager asked me to go and continually keep doing 5Ks and 10Ks I'd be attaching the Strava to my son getting him to go and run for 10K and then posting those pictures of those runs for 10K <laughs> having said that I'll never believe it at the pace that he runs that I've done that no chance um, so yeah Paul, Paul has been a, a combination of as much as as much as much many different things as we can do um, and I've also introduced in the last three weeks now um, a little competition competitions to try and engage the full club um, so we're trying to get the kids involved all the way up from the girls teams, uh, the, the junior academy intermediate academy and the senior academy including the dev squad and the first team and players and coaches and get them to upload all these wee skills and daft wee challenges I can make up to try and keep them as active as possible to Bonus City and kicking a ball, um, for me that's probably the most important thing so yeah we try and do a mixture of everything Paul to see.
1: That must be really good as well, because you're then engaging everybody from the the top down. And obviously, for the first team, for the the younger teams and the kids, seeing the manager making them feel part of it, that must be a fantastic thing to do. Was this your brainchild, was it?
2: It was. It was great at the time, because the first week it was brilliant. It was all about keepy ups. second week it was about skills, and I do not have a skill in me. Um, So I think my my 30-second cameo of a video trying to do a skill... Just ended up being keepy up to be honest with you. Um, so I get caned more for my lack of skill than the skill I was trying to get the kids to do. So I've seen some of the videos for the kids and, and the boys and the girls has just been brilliant. It's been fantastic, and I, and I just love watching all the videos that come in via their coaches. Having said that, I made a mistake this week because you kind of get caught up the whole COVID moment, and one of the skills this week was heading the ball off a wall, and then you forget that the kids are not allowed to head to the ball. So then I get told I to go make another video. Um, so again, it's, it's try to do the right thing um, So that nobody judges you Because you know what social media like nowadays People jump over the back of everything and anything you say um, So yeah, it's it's an idea I thought up um, For me, one of the big things about going to St Caddox Was the project, um, to be honest with you and, and I was really honest with them when I met them In um, fact, the day, as you said, I'd left going afternoon Ten days later, uh, I was announced as a manager, I think It was the day of the Rangers Celtic Old firm game and obviously in the house, I caught a drink, Ranger one, my Rangers man. Um, and my phone goes about half past five at night. Um, and it was Brendan. Um, I said, some character to see if I'd be interested in going and just getting a chat with him, just to discuss what the project was all about. Um, I think initially he's wanting me to go and get a chat with him on Saturday night. I was in no fixed state to have a chat on Saturday night, to be honest with you, because you, you, know, you could have said anything and I would have agreed anyway. Um, but also I had a really good chat with him this Sunday. Um, and just within minutes bought into it, the, the, how big St Caddocks was to us for you.
1: I was on the edge of my seat there when you said, Brendan, I thought there was a, maybe an offer down in Leicester coming or something. I was thinking he'd obviously seen what you'd done. I was. I think we'll probably touch on the, the, the Glen Afton thing uh, a little bit, a bit later. But how did you find out? Because obviously for, for our listeners, you, your background, you're obviously manager there. Uh, and you left because I'm led to believe that the team weren't competing in the league this year. Was that something that was news to you, new to you, or uh, how, how did you find out about that? Were you part of that decision-making process?
2: Unfortunately, Paul, I wasn't, um, and I think that was a frustrating thing for me. Um, I think I was an advocate of starting back. I think when the initial chat was about, do we... Start the league or do not start the league. I, I had created a, a kind of manager's group chat um, for, for the top league, so to speak. And, and, and that was not being disrespectful to the, the other leagues. It was like, I'd, first and foremost, I didn't know everybody's number. Um, and secondly, I would have then had a WhatsApp group with about 60, 70, 60 odd managers saying their piece. And, and, and I could have had other managers saying, well, who the hell are you? What what you want an opinion about first? So, so I made the decision very early on to try and create a WhatsApp group of Premier League managers. We all got together, and, and the general consensus was that we all wanted to start back. There was a couple of managers that were very, very quiet, kept their cards close to their chest, and, and listen, that's their prerogative. It's Every club has their own decisions to make, um, and, and the main thing about that WhatsApp group was not to try and enforce my opinion on anybody, but just to chew the fat about it.
1: I'll go back, because when all the conferences was drawn, you have said you've created this WhatsApp group. Originally, when we all moved over and I've mentioned this in the very early programmes, when we all moved over, we were all moving as one, we were all going into conference. there was no Premier League. For me personally, that wouldn't have suited our club, to be honest. The, the, you know, the golf and, you know, there's levels and we know our levels. At that point when you created that, were you in a conference or were you trying to get the league to create a Premier League? How how was that worked or... Because uh, there was a time where I think Auchinleck had possibly been trying to push for a Premier League because of Scottish Cup entry and stuff like that, big Scottish Cup entry. So how, how did that come about? Were you at that point in a conference or, or were you in the Premier League?
2: No, I was in the Premier League, so I was still at Glen Arton, Um when we kind of had the chat um, about what we were going to do. Um, and, and we just... Not Nothing I think nothing was really decided. I think initially, I, know, I can like Talbot and Pollock decided to go down a different route from others. Um, and, and I think they entered into the discussions with the powers that be for, for their own reasons. As I say, clubs do their own thing to look after their own clubs. But we, we created that just to say, well, guys, as as collective, let's all get together and talk about, let's make sure we start. There's no point in doing this. And for me, it was never about who was in the top league. For me it was about we just need to get back playing football and, and if we are putting our point of view across playing football well if we all go in mass numbers hopefully that carries a little bit of weight to be honest with you so I, I was probably instrumental along with a couple others in terms of we, we sent emails to the interim management group we sent stuff to the SFA to say listen I think our level needs to have a voice um, I, I think what we need to do is we need to try we're trying to proactively try and get back playing. Um, so, to go back to the, the original question about finding out about Glen Afton, knew I was instrumental in this. Um, and, and then when I... It was the Sunday... I think they, they gave them two occasions, I think it was, guys, and correct me if I'm wrong here. They gave them two occasions to see if we're going to be in. Um, so, the clubs had the chance to see if we are in or out. So, the clubs very early put, played their cards and said, I'm out. They then gave them a second chance to say to clubs, well, if you've said you're out, you've got until this day to say you're definitely out. That's um, and I, I think that was Sunday... I'm, I'm going to say Sunday the fourteenth. Like, it was the fourteenth. Yeah. So Sunday the fourteenth, and and that was the conversation. And then what happened is we played on the Saturday in a friendly, and a couple of committee members were there as they do bringing the kit, and the guys were just amazing for the what they do behind the scenes. And, and, we, and we play the game, nothing said. Comes to the Sunday, and I think they had until five o'clock to put their case forward if they were going to come back in or staying out. <clears throat> five to five, my phone goes and it was um, the secretary and and John Stewart and he was just very honest with me and said to it's not a call you're going to like we have decided as a club there was conversations this morning via Zoom um, that we're going to pull out of the league um, for the purposes of a variation a combination of different things i.e. finances, health and safety all that sort of stuff as well So I said, guys, listen, you do realise that I've been instrumental in creating this chat, speaking to all these managers about saying openly, my club said, we're in, we're in, we're in. you are going to make me look really, really foolish here. Now, let's think about this. Can we sleep on it overnight? We we don't necessarily need to let the IMG group know this evening. We've got until Thursday to give a final definitive answer. Can we sleep on it tonight? No, our decision's made, our statement's going out at six o'clock at night. And I said, well, my statement's going out before yours then. And, and and they said, well, no, the, the club going out first. I said, well, no, mind is going out uh, because I'm going to look really foolish here, and I, I'm and, and I'm not putting myself in that position. I love this club. I I, I think I've done well fees as, as a manager and as a player. I, I'm in my tenth season collectively. Um, and, and let's just talk about it. But listen, they made their decision, and and the eleven they die, eleven die by the sword. They made a decision, so I, I resigned that evening. We still. Craig Menzies was instrumental in trying to see if we can get the the committee to change their mind up until the Thursday. Um, A combination of things that there was so many rumours flying about about money and this and that. The players were playing for nothing. It was never about money. Um, But I think the club felt that by asking players to come and play that they had to give them something, but they just couldn't afford to give them something. So I think they they felt as if they were left with no option but to do that, to be honest with you. So a, a part of me and I love going after the bits and a part of me thinks that they're, they're a little bit spooked because Talbot and Kermluck had pulled out um, that day and announced it. So a part of me thinks that because they're all huge down there, three massive clubs and they kind of each other's pockets and they kind of always kind of seem to follow each other and follow suit as much as they're really competitive against each other. So, so a part of me thinks that they kind of got spooked a little bit that oh, Kermluck or Talbot must have must know something that, that's going to happen here so we need to be following suit. So, so for me, I still got asked the question, was it the right thing for me to do? Did I jump ship too early?" Um, for me, no, um, because I, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I would played my cards. I told them this is my thoughts. I told them I had to play, and the club decided that we weren't going to we weren't going to compete. So for me, it, it, it was I felt it was the right thing after speaking to my coaching staff, and um, and speaking to some of the players as well. I mean, I, I'd been proactive. Players have been continually asking me. Um, We're hearing stories about this, we're hearing stories about that, and I kept saying, Guys, no, I can tell you right now, I can assure you right now, I speak to them daily, Um, but no, we're in, we're all in. And then, obviously, the Sunday, we start to make some phone calls. So, yeah, so it wasn't to be, um, which is a a crying shame because, obviously, I I, kind of got slaughtered for what I said in the paper about going after made a decision, and they've probably put themselves back, I would say, suggest five years um, in terms of making that decision. I, I didn't mean that with any disrespect or any harm to anybody um, and it wasn't about our delusions of grandeur about Craig McCune and, and the job that we'd done it couldn't been any further from the truth because there's always another Craig McCune out there um, but, but for me I, I just felt that a lot of these players were going to move on or go elsewhere and it would be a massive rebuilding job um, for anybody coming back in so I took a little bit of stick for that but for me I just it's the type of guy I am the type of player I was I'm all or nothing um, sometimes um, I kind of shut my mouth um, and, and that's been a big problem, um, and I've had to try and adapt and learn as I became a manager because of that. Some someone say I didn't learn that much because I, put, I cut a few suspensions? Um, but, listen, it, it is what it is, and, and I moved on, and, and I wish quite well, an all the very best. What was your
1: emotion to it? Were you more kind of embarrassed, or did you feel let down, or did you feel as if they maybe led you up the garden path a wee bit? You know, you having to go back to this group that you've you, you've created... How how were you feeling around about that? Was it more kind of an embarrassment or, or more a let down type thing?
2: I, I think it was a mixture of everything. Paul, a mixture of embarrassment, the fact that I, I'd put everything into that group, um, the likes of Chris Trains and McKernys, and we'd spoke quite a bit um, about what what we wanted to do and draft up statements, and that. so I was. Interested. So yes, massive embarrassment that I felt. Um, People might say to me, why your you in?" do you know what I mean, they've made a decision, they've done it for the right, right the benefit of the club, it's all about the club, not about you, and they're absolutely right to say that, but but I think for me it was a bit of embarrassment, a bit of disappointment and been let down, to be honest with you, I felt as if it, it, they, they could have afforded ourselves the courtesy um, of just no knee reactions, um, and, and just sit with the table or <laughs> round Zoom um, and, and, and have a discussion um, about, well, what is exactly is the Because there, there was lots of chat during all this whole process, Paul, and, and you'd have been the same at your club as well. There was lots of clubs that were just making decisions without speaking to players and, and all that sort of stuff. But Glen Afton were a club that we, we'd spoke quite a bit to all the players. This is what we're doing. We're, we're doing this. And I felt as if they'd invested quite a bit of money in that pre-season in terms of speaking to players, getting players on board. I'd Said to players, listen, and you come. I, I'd entice players to come to us that had arguably other options within the top league, um, and clubs that were paying money. To be honest with you, and I'm saying, come and play for me for, for for buttons, and and then it was about, oh well, there's no going to be any money, so let's just get started, let's get playing, and they were all in. So I'd entice those players to come and play for me. So it was, I mean, for for, for, a, for a second, I thought, God, what have I done here? I've resigned. Um, I can't believe just walked away <laughs> for the club that that I've spent the last 10 years of my life um, fighting, living, eating, breathing every single day for but when I think about it now it's it was probably the right thing for me to do um, it, it's gave me something fresh in St Cadoc's, which as you said I'm sure we'll, we'll speak about um, so for me it, I feel as if I've kind of got my mojo back a wee bit um, it was a bit of a knock that I took albeit it was 10 days I never for one second um, thought I'd be back as quick as that to be honest with you and and, and I, I was very honest with St Cardocts with no disrespect to them. I didn't know anything about them, to be honest with you, albeit on my doorstep, Newton Mearns and I'm in Pollock. So um, I didn't know much about them, albeit I knew that Johnny was there and assembled a, a very good squad that was ready to go uh, and challenge um, for the conference. So, so from my point of view, um, it, it's, it's absolutely
0: the right thing I do. that I did. Sorry. I know what you say about everything there in terms of how you, how you kind of reached that decision to, to leave. Totally justifiable, totally understandable. If I was to play davis advocate though, and say, possibly they could be sitting there now, looking at where the league is at, looking at the uncertainty, looking at it being in lockdown, C- could you, could they argue that what they, what they did, or what the the decision they came to was right? They just went about it the wrong way.
2: Listen, yeah, absolutely, totally agree with you. The flip side of that, Gareth, is I could be saying I assembled a squad to go and win that league we could have won the first 11 games and get to a stage where we get to 50% if that was to happen and we're promoted to the low league so so for me I, I, I assemble a squad to win leagues and win trophies I don't assemble a squad of players to just make ends meet um, because if that's the case I'm in the wrong job I, I shouldn't be involved in football for me I, I've listened to far too often and, and I get the non-competitive edge to it right but for me, I've been brought up in football that there's no such thing as a friendly. There's no such thing as non-competitive. Um, we well, you don't cross over that white line, regardless, listen, not everybody wins trophies every single year, right? You don't win leagues every single year. So so if you don't win trophies, is that the, the, the chain of thought is they just chuck it in. Do you know what I mean? With no disrespect to some clubs in, in, in the lower leagues and, and leagues in Scotland and, and the SPFL 1 and 2 or even the Premier League. I'm sitting watching Kilmarnock just now. Do you know what I mean? They don't win trophies every single year. So see because you don't win trophies, you just chuck it. So so the chain of thought for me would be that to, I, I could argue I could argue that to say, well, I assembled a squad to go and win that league. And and that sounds a bit of a an arrogant statement to make. Um and people might say that. People know me, know oh, that's not me. Um but I've assembled a, I have a squad to, to win a league and I generally believed in, in the ability that I brought in that squad that we could have been there challenging in the top league this year. Whether gone after them or ready... To move to the next level, well or not, because they don't have the license and the floodlights and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I don't know.
1: And and for me as well, Craig, it's it's the penultimate year of this league. There's still trophies there. Whether yeah. it's going to be promotion or relegation, there's still there's still a trophy there. You play a cup competition next year. There's no yeah. promotion or relegation. There's a trophy there to be won. So I, yeah. from from our point of view, I just always felt that you know, or you say you assemble a squad, if you if I just felt if we didn't from our club's point of view, then everybody would come and take the pickings of our team, uh, and, and, and we'd be left an absolute rebuilding job again. And yeah. do you think without you obviously you sounding arrogant, you've said that, maybe Glen Afton has gone back five years. Do you believe that? Do you believe that obviously I know like Big Z and that come along to say Cadix with you? Do you think they're gonna have lost a lot of players to other teams now it's going to make that job quite difficult for the next guy
2: um, Absolutely I think it was always difficult going after I mean, being a manager there and even, even prior to me being there Tommy Bryce uh, was successful Dan Henderson prior to that was successful as well in terms of winning trophies and getting to the latter stages of, of tournaments and stuff like that as well so going after every year was always a fight to try and keep the best players because when you've got top draw players in my opinion that class is top draw players that we've assembled and that squad we've assembled that are coming to you and playing for, and you listen to all the stories, some of these boys are coming and playing for 60, 70 quid a week. They, they could easily, and have been offered, and knock back the opportunity to go, and maybe, in some occasions, three times that money at some other clubs. Um. So so for me, it, it's great that these players want to play for me, Um. and that's one of the things when I speak to players, I, I, I will never ever sell a club on money, because money's short-lived. If you sell a club on money, and, and oh, I can offer you this without speaking about style of play and the values and the culture of the club and what you're going to do for them, you're going to make them better players. I think you then instil uh, something in the squad that it's, it's all about money, but you want it to be winners. You want that, that group of boys to be collectively together, as Paul said. You, you assemble a squad to go and win things. Um, if all the boys are going their own separate way because they're, they're just chasing that extra 10 or that, that extra 20 quid, it makes your job a little bit harder. Um, which then also in turn causes major problems if you give somebody crazy money and you don't play them for whatever reason they, they perform whatever maybe. So as a manager, that causes more problems for you. So, so yeah, that, that's 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 what I, I believe towards you.
0: I mean, you, you talk about Glenn Afton losing players. Am I right in thinking you took eleven?
2: I took eleven. Yes, um, eleven players now. But that that's that's a crazy crazy number. Um, but. What were those players going to do? Yeah.
0: Um, the, the,
2: the club had decided to... And by the way, I need to give major credit to going after him because there's examples of clubs that I've been speaking to that, and I think this has been alluded to in several of your shows. See these clubs that speak about player welfare, health, safety, money and all that sort of stuff and then loan over players out? Where's, where's your player's welfare and your health and safety then? So don't be a hypocrite. Don't use that as your... See if it's absolutely about money and it's absolutely about players' health and safety. Well, that, That's absolutely fine. You're with your opinion. Don't then loan half your squad out or three quarters of your squad out to go and play elsewhere because you've just shot your argument down completely. So so for me, the the, the credit to Gunnacht goes to the fact that they made that decision to say, well, do you know what? It is what it is. These players aren't going to go and play. Yeah. And they, they released every single player that came into a contract because they knew every... In fact, Every single one of them had signed 19 players and all 19 within the space of two weeks had clubs and, and they were all playing and, and training. Um, so that's 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 testament to players because they're good players. Some um, played at different levels, but you know what, they're playing. And that's the most important thing, I think, from a, a healthy well-being point of view, um, the fact is that they're playing. So so for me, major credit needs to go to one afternoon because not many clubs have made that decision to let their players go. In fact, some, of them are, some clubs are actually using players I've had examples of that. They've used their players as a partner tool to try and get some money out of other clubs.
1: I want to bring you on to, to Glenarfrin and the size of the club. What I like to do is when we started this is, is maybe people in here that's not involved in clubs, it's maybe supporters of clubs eh, or are not even involved in this league. Glen and is a massive club in non-league football. And, and we spoke about this, obviously. I'm going to start using the word non-league football because we're not not junior yeah. football anymore. So yeah. in, 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 the, in the kind of non-league world, Glen Afton yeah. is a big club. Can you tell us a bit about Glen Afton, the rivalry with Ock and And you've now went to St Caddox who so are a new club. They're a new club in terms of, at this level, mm-hmm. a very ambitious club, obviously, very well backed I think they've got all their quality marks haven't they from the youth from the girls teams boys teams all the way up can you just kind of give us a bit of background on sort of Glen Afton and and how you find that set up and culture that you created there to the the, the new club you're at I
2: I think for me Glen Afton as I say I spent 10 years there 4.5 as a player well 4.5 as a player and 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 5.5 as a manager I think historically Gone Glen Afton, I've always been there and about challenging for trophies and winning trophies. Um, I, I was very, very fortunate through my time at Glen Afton through Tommy Bryce, Darren Henderson as a manager, who, who who won won the West, won the Super First. Um, I won the Arba Cup at Glen Afton, or the Jackie Scallop Cup, cup as we used to call it. Um, I've been involved in as a player getting beaten in a Scottish Junior Cup final against Hurlford. Um, I believe that was the first year Hendro left taking players he gets slaughtered as well for taking all the players with him to Hurdleford they beat us at Rugby Park I'm sitting watching this game now so they beat us at Rugby Park um, as, as, so we, I, I'm on the receiving end of getting beaten in the Scottish Cup final Scottish Junior Cup final to then as a manager going and winning a treble um, which was was probably unthinkable and I think we as a club I think still to this day winning that treble that season um, we were punching well above our weight um, we we, we We probably set ourselves up to fail by winning that treble because there was so much pressure on us after we won that treble to then go and continue to keep winning trophies. And I can like Talbot, I can like Talbot. They are what they are. They grind out results. They win trophies year after year after year. Um, And they are the benchmark in non-league football. I've said junior, but I'll say non-league football. So they are the benchmark in what was the old juniors, but but now obviously non-league football. So... So for me, everybody wanted to be yucking like Talbot. Everybody wanted to win those trophies consistently year after year. Glen Afton had, had massive exposure of winning trophies. So Glen Afton were a huge club. I think when we won the Scottish Cup, um, I think it was 2016, 17? 17, yeah. Yeah, 17. That was 30-odd year, um for the anniversary of them last, last time they won um, the Scottish Junior Cup. I think it was X amount of years since um, they'd won the treble as well. Um, so f- So for us... It, we, I knew I was going to a big club Um, When I went to gone Afton um, Did I ever think I was going to be as successful As a player and a manager Well no I didn't um, But I knew I'd have been there and thereabouts Challenging for trophies So so Glen Afton are a huge club Paul um, and, and listen they still are a huge club And they will continue to be a big big club Um, And I think for me If I compare gone Afton To St Caddox as you say St Caddox in its infancy It's an exciting project It's a ex- very very exciting journey um the looking through the academies, there's two thousand kids. Um huge. Um for me, we're in Newton mearns So for us, we've got a massive catchment area, and that's just counting Newton mearns You're not talking about Giffnock, Busby, Clarkston, all the kind of surrounding areas. So so for me, there's a there's a huge catchment area there um for to bring the players out of the academy, develop them, give them a player pathway to potentially get to the first team. That was all the stuff that excited me about St. Caddox. That was all the things that we spoke about. we Glen going after an academy, and we were going to get nice an Ashworth Park, and with all this money coming in to do the park and stuff like that as well. It never came to fruition through various funding streams and stuff like that. So that was always my plan at going after as well. Um, but going after think population, a new covenant population of two thousand, it was always going to be a tough ask um, to be honest with fifty. So for me, I, I generally believe going after had a huge club, but potential-wise, in terms of what 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 there is at St Caddox, I think St Caddick's, um I I think St Carrick's can be a bigger club than Pollock. Um, I'll I'll get slaughtered for saying that. I live in Pollock. I've I've, um, I've beat all the Pollock games. I know I've got a lot of friends on the committee and and people that are at Pollock. So so for me, I generally believe St Carrick's can be just as big as Pollock, if not bigger, um, with what we're doing. We're obviously waiting for the project in terms of a new park to be signed off and stuff like that as well. Covid's got a wee bit of a dunt on that just now because getting the councillors all in the same room to kind of officially sign it off. But... But I think for us, if you look at those 2,000 kids and, and the girls and the facilities that we have just now, I, I think for me, there is a huge potential um, at St Carrick's to go on um, and be a hugely successful club. Um, and, and for that, we talk about not just going from the conferences to the Premier League, Premier to Lowland, and, and, and I'm aspiring to get to the SPFL. Um, and that, that I want to be as successful as that. i um, got a lot to learn, long way to go. Um, many, many big clubs to even get by before we even get to that stage. But you know what? Why not dream? Why not dream that that's what we want to get to? Because that, that's what will drive the kids and that's what will drive the team and that's what will drive the, the values and the culture of the club on to strive to be the, the best that we can be. Um, it's going to take time, but you know what? We'll, we'll give it a right good bash and we'll go for it.
1: One thing that's about a breath of fresh air listening to you speak, Craig, is I look at a lot of the teams that are in the Lone League who. What we call, what I would call, new teams. I not maybe your tradition. You talk about Pollocks and that huge, huge clubs you can get a fan base. If you've got, a, a, you know, a new club there and you can get the facilities right, two thousand kids and parents and all that coming through the door, it's a kind of fan base there already, isn't there? So it's not as if you're, you know, some of some of these clubs. And you know, we maybe, you know, I'm only going to use BSC in this because. I think one of the, we had one of the guys on from BSE who says one of the things that's really they've struggled with is they've had to play at Alla that They're a glasgow based club and guys are not travelling up there. And I, I don't mean any disrespect to BSC when I say that. It's, you know, they, they come on and said that. So really for yourselves, if you can get from McKenna Park and, and get get your ground signed off, it really is a really exciting project.
2: It, it's, it's brilliant. Um, and as you say, if we can get... Twenty-five percent of those two thousand kids and their parents to turn up on on, on a Saturday. Well, there's five hundred straight away. That that arguably makes you on a par with your Arclight Talbots, and and I don't mean on a par with the name the name Arclight. I mean in terms of the fan base that that come through the gate. So so immediately there's something there that's sustainable. Um, we don't need uh, somebody to come in and throw bags and bags of money at St Cadoc's. It's 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 a project that's sustainable. It's a project that we do get the fans back through the door and some of the. The, the plans that we have um, and speaking about it to the committee, it, it, it's brilliant and it's really, really refreshing to see some of the stuff that they want to do. And it's something that, that I absolutely want to be involved in because for me, looking at all the technology we have to, to that we can get used to an advantage just now in terms of your player data and stuff like that as well, that's all there just now. It's for the under-20s. and. That that's another crying shame about COVID. That under 20s development leagues that that didn't kick off either. I mean, that's a whole year of boys under twenty that are just going to completely miss out on twenty football. So, so for me, huge Paul, absolute huge potential. Um, and, and, and as I say, why not dream? Um, when they sign off that park and and it's imminent. Um, it could be anything within the next week to two weeks. Um, we are looking to have our park in place. Um, for the start of let's call it the start of next season. Um so yeah, and, and there's plans to even develop that um out with the park. Um, it's in the local excuse me, in the local area as well. So massive potential. Um but you know it's all very well having potential um and, and, and having a plan and having a, a master plan of what you want to do. You need to carry that out, you need to see that through. Um, and, and I generally believe the passion and the drive that I have and a very, very hard working committee and uh, I'm not, every committee is hard working um, they, the, they, they are the the ones that, that keep our level going um, it's the people behind the scenes that you don't actually see all the work they do you'll never see half the work that they do that keep us going, um, so we are as Paul tell we're indebted to all these people that give up their time um, to support and, and help us and turn after Saturday and sell raffle tickets and stand at the gates and stuff like that as well, so, so for me unbelievable project um, I'm looking forward to seeing where that journey takes us
1: you talk about you know the SPL SPL 2 You look at these Clubs in the SPL 2 Who Have been established in communities For a long time But potentially stood still Because there hasn't been that Relegation out the league Or maybe they have been protected a little bit Because of you know The, the route from Lowland League Highland League in there and playoffs And then playing off against them It's been a difficult route but when you see something as encouraging as 2,000 kids coming through the door at a club where, you know, there'll be clubs, there'll be, listen, there'll be clubs in the championship that won't have 2,000 kids coming through their door. You know, you, you, you talk about saying you want to dream big. When you see that, there's a reality there. It's not as if you're just, saying, you know, oh, we want to be in there with no structure. The structure's there. And you must be thinking, Craig, it must be teams in that league. I mean, you've played in the senior, senior leagues and the low leagues. They must be looking over their shoulder and saying, what can we do to try and, try and keep ourselves ahead of the pack here?
2: I think I totally agree with you. I think there's, there's clubs in the SPFL that are, SPFL League 2, that are running scared. I mean, you look at that Lone League, for example, you look at the, the, the Celties, the BSCs, you look at the East Coast Bridge, you look at even the Bonadig Roses. Massive potential. They have massive growth plans, That they have plans in place to be and um, get to that League 2. And and do you know what? Some of the clubs in League Two have been saved for the last two or three years by well, no no relegation. not just two or three years, many years now for not for not having that relegation. So that's the great thing about the pyramid, and and it's the great thing about us being recognised as part of that pyramid. Um, it, it's you kind of get a wee bit jealous when you look at the east and the north and the south and all that sort of stuff, and they have their own wee part of the pyramid, and the west never ever had theirs. Um, the juniors the old juniors it was a sinking ship it was a sinking ship it needed fresh and it needed it needed fresh blood the IMG group have certainly brought that to the West of Scotland Football League and do you know what they absolutely have the, the people that are out there ready to knock them but they can't bloody win guys they can't win I mean in normal circumstances nobody deals with a pandemic football stop, start, stop, start Covid, vaccines, testings all that sort of stuff as well so so absolutely there's clubs that I would suggest in the league two that will but a little bit fearful, and that's why I think as a as a as a level, um, let's just call it the West, the whole of the West, we need to have a voice. We need to be saying, "No, get us beyond that fifty percent." If we need to extend the league to to play to June and then start the, the league a little bit longer, uh, a little bit later, sorry, in the year, so be it. Let's get these leagues finished as if we can. Of course, as long as it's done in a safe environment, but let's get these leagues finished because we need to be seen. People progressing from our top league into the Lowland, the Lowland into the SPFL for level two. So that that's what we need to be striving to do, and it just gives you everything that you've got down England, everything that Scotland craves about England. We've got it. We've got the mechanism. We've got the tool. The tools there to do it. So we just need to allow us to go and do it. Um, as I say, as long as it's safe. I think you had that, but in case I get slobbed for saying just go and do it and forget about COVID.
0: So when when football stopped two or three weeks ago, uh, Sintax were sitting fourth. In conference B, as i said in the start there you'd won five out of your last six um i guess my question is from what i'm told your assistant craig potter has got a hundred percent record when he's taken charge of the team when you've been serving well the, the, the phrase that was used was one of your multiple suspensions have you, have you have you considered putting him in charge and you just watching from the stand Absolute not,
2: because I love the fact that he keeps telling people that and he kinda get about it because I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> see, to be, see to be fair to that he has got a 100% record. I think the, the, the year we won the treble I, I, was, I was banned for 12 games that year and that was the crazy thing about the juniors. First offence, 50 quid second offence, telling a referee to wind his neck in twip, six games next offence, splitting up a fight on the park oh you're done six games so you're standing out for 12 games because of the kangaroo court. That 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 was the, the old juniors and I I'm really hiding for that it was a shambles for our minds to get a twelve a match ban when there was people doing I would bet I was just going punching something at a three game ban it was a shambles why I got that twelve match ban but Joe you know what I can't argue with Potsy he has a hundred percent win record um, but listen as long as that's the case that's brilliant that means we're all doing our job <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. I mean you, I mean you talk we're obviously kind of laugh about your suspensions and that and and i mean some of those things you've described there of course you know the the punishment uh wasn't kind of representative of the crime but um is, is 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 management in that sense something you've 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 learned and by that i mean have you had to have you had to rein it in your natural kind of personality is to say things and, and you've had to kind of pull back
2: yeah and you gareth it's crazy because on a football park, my Saturday, I, I just turn into this guy that just wants to win. I'm an absolute winner. I'll, I'll always say my piece in my working environment on a daily basis. I mind my P's and Q's. I watch what I'm saying. I, I, I run a very successful business in Scotland for um, for a for a, for a, a huge organisation. Um, so for me, it's I suppose it's something that I, I try, I've tried to curb as the kind of years have went on as being a manager. But it's bloody hard. I, I don't know what you like, Paul. Sometimes when you, you see certain things on a Saturday and you think, is, is this a wind up? Is, is this actually happening in front of me? Um, and you just kind of shut up. Um, and, and that's that. I mean, I, get, I was listening to Wally um chat reason. I actually get sent off against Garp Cairn this season. And, and I get sent off against Garp Cairn this season. And do you know why I get sent off, guys? Because I went on the park, right, to pick up my player who was lying in absolute agony. Because Big Danny Boyle just polaxed them, and I'm going to the park and I'm getting abuse off the Garrett Cairn players and I get sent off for telling one and they shut their mouth and the ref thought I was talking to him and he sent me off. So it's it's just, it's crazy. So yeah, I, I also need to watch what I'm doing. I'm not advocating for shouting your mouth off, but I wear my heart on my sleeve and I, I just, I need, I, there's a lot of development. I'm still young, relatively young um, as a manager um, and I, I've had, I would say not bad success. Um, to date um, but I want to win more um, but it's certainly an element of that, that I need to work on when it comes up to a Saturday
1: I think talking of that I uh, was I've been watching that series class of 92 so it's the third series that's coming yeah. just now. I think all managers in the legal watch that uh, and it was Graham Alexander who's the manager there and he's on he's going crazy in the dressing room he's going absolute nuts at players and all that and he's obviously just got the model manager's job and I'm listening to him and uh, they were interviewing him and he said you know, there's no place in the modern game, you know, for, you know, going in and ranting and raving and shouting and all that. Yeah. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm sure I just watched him on the, <laughs> the class of night to do night. Listen, it's a very passionate environment, isn't it? You get caught up, I get caught up more in, I'm not going to go in and shout and ball. My players will tell you, I have went in and shouted and bawled if, you know, they're not doing something that's, you know, you've asked them to do and they, and, and they repeatedly don't do it. But where I get caught up more in, it's in the game. It's in something happens, you know, that, and as a referee's decision. He gives a penalty against you, the similar incident happens. And, and it's just, the, do you know what well, well, I have found, especially in our leagues, I should genuinely hand on hand, don't believe the standard of refereeing is that great. Now, I will flip that and say, these guys are starting out and they're doing it and they're on, on a journey. And that journey is, they're going to make mistakes, honest mistakes. Totally. See when you're at the end of it on that 90 minutes, and he's maybe give that same decision against you, and he repeatedly does it, and you feel the game's going against you. That's when I get caught up in it, and that's when I've been doing to pick up a suspension. <laughs> Listen,
2: so do what, Paul. I, I totally agree with you, and it's like it's as if it's all very well when they make a mistake. It's like all right, okay, you've said your piece, calm down. But when we make a mistake, it's there's no there's no right. Camden, I know you made a mistake, you shouldn't have said that. It's like, right, off you go. And it's like, you're right, the standard, it must be hard, right? Now, this is something we need to work at, I think, from, from the SFA's point of view, because we're breeding these people in an environment where it ain't a hobby. Um, these players are all passionate about winning every single Saturday. So the reality is, emotions boil over from time to time. And as long as it doesn't get to a crazy, crazy stage absolutely you need to step in but there needs to be a bit of common sense where we're not helping them from an SFA's point of view is we're putting them in the same blood and thunder and guts of our level but not giving them linesmen it's like we're either professional or we're not professional if we're professional and listen there may well be a shortage of linesmen and lineswomen out there that may well be the case um but they're going to make mistakes as you say but with them making mistakes, if it's an offside or something they've missed, and we're having a go at them because of it, that doesn't mean they need to take it personal and go, right, you, you're you off, away you go. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like they might need to say, guys, do you know what? I might have made a mistake there, but do you know cut me a bit of slack. I mean, the, when I played senior, the best at that was Hugh Dallas. I mean, I, I used to slaughter him and used to run by and go, Craigie, are you kidding me on? You're slaughtering me and you've just kicked the ball at the park the last three times. Why don't you concentrate on your game? Because you're having one and run by you and see for the next ten minutes. I would up my game to prove Hugh Dallas wrong and <laughs> keep the ball in the bloody park. So people like Hugh Dallas and, and Jim Louden and Wally Young were the best at it. And and, and that's what I think that's that personality that's missing. And it's also because they're they've got people assessing them and watch them. And it's like they're not there to assess personality. They're there to assess if it's the right or the wrong decision. Well, unfortunately, in football, there is grey areas. Look at bloody VAR. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a car crash every single week. So with VAR, there's still grey areas. So they need to come a bit of slack and, and give them that luxury to make mistakes, but also have a bit of banter about it as well. And I'm all for praising
1: referees because we've had one or two, one guy in particular, and I, I forget his name, but he, he'll come up and he'll say, Paul this, Paul that Craig this, Craig that And he knows all the players names And I said to him after the game He says You've never been here before How do you know their names He says see what I do He says I try And get as many off the team sheet Before the game Number eight's names That He says I just remember them And he says And it helps me manage And control the game And fair play to him The guy's a decent referee Because Do you know what He doesn't know them But it comes back to what you are saying Craig Hugh Dallas running by you." It's that wee personal touch into. I mean, Gareth has spoke about it as well by saying we should maybe you know coach our players as well to kind of have that relationship with them and try and build them on the part. But so maybe that again, maybe it's a younger generation. We've got a younger players and in our leagues a lot of younger referees as well, which is which is always quite difficult to do and, and get that across when they're trying to concentrate on their own game as well. But as that as really interesting to hear that you know. From your point of view, Hugh Dallas doing that and kind of
2: bringing, helps the game flow, doesn't it? As you say, he's in your head then. Of course, what do they do in the top league of the championship, league one and league two, before the start of every season and throughout the course of the season? They'll, now, they'll be, they kind of have the face-to-face with referees, right? So Steve McLean, I'm doing my, I've am i done my B licence, you're on your licenses. the referee, they've always got a referee's part in your licence. The referee comes in and they talk about scenarios and this and that and the next thing, and they have a bit of banter and a laugh and I joke with you. Where's that banter and that laugh and a joke on a Saturday when you're in the park? It's like, you are a human being. So you can, we all make mistakes. So if you give us that bit of banter, as you said, um, it, it it's not going to make the decision right. Right, It's still going to be bloody wrong in our eyes anyway. But you know what? They'll get cut a little bit more slack. It's like, even like the assistant referees standing next to you, two of standing up going sit down. Mate, right, so I've got six subs, a physio, a goalie coach, myself my assistant manager, so there's a the crux of 10 people. I've got a dugout that I can't swing a cat in, and you're telling nine of us to go and sit down that dugout. And all because my coach is standing there and I'm standing there. We're coaching. We're talking to each other. But I mean, he's got to go and sit down. Where is he going to go and sit down? <laughs> so it's, it's a bit of realism and a bit of understanding about we're all at this level for a reason. Some learning, some developing, some starting, and some finishing. So we've all got different parts to play. So I think you're right. There needs to be an education piece that we as managers could probably do as well, Paul, in terms Absolutely. of speaking to our players.
0: Maybe the secret is, because Craig Potter's got a 100% record, he can deal with a referee.
2: Well, to be fair, there's a chain of thought that uh, I, <laughs> if I can sew my mouth up, there's been occasions where Potts will say his thing and then turn away and go and sit down, and then I'll get turned and they'll give me the stare. So... Oh. So I'm I'm not going to completely say he's innocent in all this. (laughs) Hi, I'm Ross
1: Wilson, manager of Maryhill, and you're listening to Down the Divisions.
0: Partick have brought back Declan McDade on loan from Dundee until the end of the season. At Cove Rangers, they've suffered a blow after Jamie Semple has been recalled to his parent club, Motherwell. Edinburgh City have added goalkeeper Ryan Goodfellow from Albion Rovers. Ryan began his senior career with Dunfermline before spells with East Fife, Cowdenbeath and Berwick Rangers. Cowdenbeath have extended the loan of Pollock striker Ian Russell until the end of the season, but Ross Sinclair's loan from St Johnstone has been cancelled. Stennis Muir have brought in Adam Corbett. The highly rated 23-year-old centre-back joins after the club met Spartans asking price for their captain and Breakin have confirmed the signing of winger Bobby Barr, who returns for a third spell at Glebe Park. My name's
2: Tommy Sloan, Oculette Talbot manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions.
0: Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Craig, who is your idol as a boy?
2: Actually, I thought... Long and hard. Um, so for me, there was probably two that, that that I grew up watching, probably Gary Neville and Lee Dixon, um, both fullbacks. backs um, And I, I just loved the fact that they, they, the way they just love to get on the ball, the way they love to just drive forward all the time. And I kind of I tried to instill as much as what they did in their game into my own game. Um, albeit they were probably better defenders than I have probably ever been, some of my managers will probably tell you. Um, but yeah, I would probably say, suggest that those two, and those two were playing teams that were majorly successful, Man United and, um, and Arsenal at the time, the Invincibles, and they, they were just a joy to absolutely watch, to be honest with you. That was proper, proper teams and proper, proper football, to be honest with you. But if I was going to pick between the two, I would probably say my favourite would be Gary Neville. Um, I, I'm not a Man U fan, but I, I'm a Chelsea fan, um, but I really like um, the Man U team's, Especially Alec Ferguson's teams, to be honest with you, um, and Gary Neville. Even now, you listen to him. I could listen to that guy all day long um, in terms of his knowledge of the game. And and I, I must admit, I thought he would have been a major success as a manager. Um, I thought he would have been brilliant. Um, <clears throat> but when you watch that class of '92, they talk about how intense he is and all that sort of stuff as well. And maybe that's why he didn't. He wasn't as successful because he was so intense and as intense as in everything he's doing. So yeah, for me, it's probably if I was going to pick one of those two, it'd be Gary Neville.
0: Uh, who's the toughest opponent you faced?
2: For me, I'll well, toss a coin again between. I played under 21s against Italy, um, and Tommy Craig was my manager at the time. Um, and he, We were playing away at the Olympic Stadium against Italy, and he, he told me to man mark Rino Gattuso. <laughs> I think that comment was followed up by saying he's more of a loss to them than you are to <laughs> us, I think, to be honest with you. Um, and I remember just chasing this guy about everywhere. And I was just like Jack Russell, trying to kick him, noise him up constantly. And every time I didn't get a chance to kick him, I just bounced off him constantly, to be honest with you. Um, I was a skinny wee runt, um, just bouncing off Rino Catuso. So, a coming to Rino Catuso, and I would probably say Neil McCann when he played at Hearts. Um, that's probably the two toughest opponents that, that I would probably say I, I played against for, for different reasons one for Gattuso because it was an unnatural position for me so I was just running about chasing him um, and Neil McCann because an out and out winger um, playing on the left um, and you just I didn't have a clue what way he was going to go he would just constantly chop you one way chop you the next way so um, I would probably say that's probably two of the toughest that, that, I, that I've, been, I've been very fortunate to play against
0: Superb uh, what's the favourite football top you've worn and why
2: um, probably my favourite football top will be I played in the Keith Knox testimonial um, when I was at Clyde Big Noxy and it was against Rangers and Brian Laudrup played um, and it was actually Brian Loudrup's very last game in Scotland it was his very last Rangers strip that he wore um, so I've got Brian Loudrop's I can say I've got Brian Loudrup's very last strip that he wore in Scotland and I love Brian Loudrup. thank god I didn't need to play against him I played against him twice I think um, but I, he was he was just unbelievable as a player um, so yeah that's probably my, my favourite strip that or my, my debut for Scotland um, to be honest with you um, and the and to know what? the crazy thing is it was one of probably Scotland's worst ever strips that remember that pink strip they had <laughs> that pink and blue strip so I gave that to my sister-in-law um, so she's got that <laughs> somewhere so um, so yeah, that that's probably two of my, my, my most memorable strips I would say
0: who's the best player you've played with
2: I mentioned George McCluskey and Charlie Nicholas earlier on when I was at Clyde. Um, they two were at the very end of their career, but they just absolutely had it. They knew that they absolutely had it. They were just unbelievable. George McCluskey, he, he, when you played the ball up to him, it stuck. Um, he was absolutely brilliant. Charlie Nicholas was just, he was just, Sensational, um, and, and he was brilliant. I mean, he, my time at Clyde with Charlie, and he was there. That he used to come in every single Monday, guys. Right, and I know I'm telling a wee story here, right, but he used to come in every single Monday. Um, there was a, I think it was a sponsor that paid his wages, so God knows what they paid him, right, to come and play for Clyde. Um. And every, Again, we were on 45 quid a week, but he would come in and give the four of us, the four YTS boys, 100, 100 quid every single week. He would say, guys, that's your 100 quid for this week. That's your lunches. So you don't share with anybody else. That was absolutely fine. So what we would do is we would, the four of us, share the 100 quid between us and take 25 quid each. I would then, again, my calling, sales, I'd go up to the ladies up the stair and say to the ladies up the stair in the canteen saying, Listen, we're on, we're, we're on £45 a week. Can you help us here? Um, we're absolutely skint. Um, what can you do for lunches? And she went, listen, it doesn't no matter what the lunches are. We'll give you – most days we were eating proper lunches, soups and fresh chocolate fudge cake and stuff like that as well. Um, and I said, oh, we can't afford that. I managed to, she says, basically just give us a fiver every single week um, for basically your lunches for the five days. So we made twenty quid out of Charles Nicholas every single week for about <laughs> six months, to be honest with you. So, um, so they were probably the best two there. But if I think if you're going to ask me to, who I played with quite a bit, Barry Ferguson was head and shoulders above anybody in anything that I've ever stood in a part with, to be honest with you. Even at a young age and playing on twenty ones, he had, he just he. Had, the luxury of just creating so much time for himself on the ball it was unbelievable he was an absolute money shit if you didn't give him so if i was to pass the ball there instead of giving it there but that was the right pass he would still moan that i didn't give him the ball and for me that was just somebody that playing at rangers at that young age playing every single week and how demanding of standards and how demanding of doing the right things that he was i thought he was and shoulders above everything else that I've, that I've played with
0: brilliant and what's the best practical joke you've seen
2: it's probably been played on myself, guys. Um, there's been some crazy, crazy ones that I, I, I would, it would be wrong of me to throw people under a bus. So th- the main one for me was actually done on me and it's when I was at Glen Afton, to be honest with to this bloody day, I don't know who done it, guys. Um, again, I speak earlier on about you would go into training, you would get your gear, you would train, you'd come in for training, throw your gear in the flyer, go for your shower, come in, scoop it all up, lob it in your bag, come home. And, and what would happen is... We had two sets of training gear when I first went to Glen So what had happened was on the Tuesday, we trained on the Tuesday, I threw my gear in the bag and a plastic bag. So I knew my other gear. She always done that because I thought, see if I forget to stick it in the washing machine or it doesn't get washed. I've got another kit there anyway, but that one's just in a bag. So it's separated. So I put the, the first lot in the bag. What had happened was the, the training was off on the Thursday night due to the weather um, and the game was off on the Saturday. So of my bag had laid from the Tuesday right through to the following Tuesday, That was absolutely fine. I think, oh, it's fine. I forgot about my training gear. I went in. I picked my other lot out of my bag. And I I picked a lot of my bag. I'm thinking, what the hell is that smell in my bag? And I was like, surely that can't be my training gear for the last week. That's unbelievable. So, that was fine. I just move on. And I go in, I train, I come back out. I've taken my training gear off after my, my my second training session in a week. And the guys, I went in my bag and I opened my bag and I absolutely shit myself there was that it could only be described as it wasn't even it was like a bloody shark in my bag like it was like the biggest it was like a big bloody conga eel it was like the biggest fish eel thing I've ever seen in my life and I shit my trunks I jumped I screamed and the whole dressing room just went up in absolute arms pissing herself laughing Guys, it was that big. I was too bloody scared to open my bag. And, and, and I'm, I'm kidding you. See, somebody tipped it out of my bag and it was about a metre and a half long, this bloody fish. And I shit... You open the bag and I just seen the eyes and I put them... <laughs> the
0: so so
2: that, that's probably the biggest practical jokes i playing on myself. That and... Some of the crazy things you do. You It's a player, and you, you don't think sometimes. We, when I was at Air United, I used to travel with um, Eddie Ann and James Grady and Paul Overham. Um, and we, Marvin Wilson, and was in for time to time, and, and Neil Scarley, who's a party at Party Thistle now. So every day, we would always, Big Yogi, Big John Hughes, would leave at the same time as us, training every single day without fail. And for, for whatever reason, we thought it would be funny to like, get ahead of Big Yogi in his car and open our bags and take our shower gel out and lean out the windows on the M77 the old road and scoosh shower gel over his car um, and it went all over the window so we, we're doing about 60, 70, 80 mile an hour along the waterway, hanging out Wendy's. he's doing 70 mile an hour behind us in a car he can't be bloody see because you put his wind wipers on it's just covering his, his, his car with, with all this shower gel so we used to do that at Yogi every single day by the way um, uh-huh. and he used to, used to absolutely hate it he used to just come in every single morning after the next day and just dig one of us and like, Oh how are you doing big man so yeah but I think the main one is probably the joke that's been played on myself um, which I'm ashamed to, to, to say that is probably <laughs> the biggest prank that's been played against me
0: have, have you got any suspicions as to who was responsible for it even though you don't know for certain?
2: See I, I don't know because Potts was there at the time as well but Potts is not one that would get involved in all that kind of humour so it, It it probably would have been either one of two people, Robbie Henderson um, or Paul Murphy. um, It's probably the two main culprits that I could probably pick out that done that, guys, to be honest with you. But it was the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life, by the way. (laughs) What what did you do with it to get rid of it? I left my bag. (laughs) I left my bag, left my training gear dumped the whole lot, just left the whole lot. I was too scared. So the janitor must have absolutely shit herself the next day when in that test <laughs>
1: <laughs> My name's Chris Christine and I'm the Conan Rangers manager. You're listening to
0: Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. This week, I'm looking for the club from League One Down that's won the Scottish Junior Cup on two occasions. One of those wins is still a joint record margin in a Scottish Junior Cup final. A win in a round of the Senior Scottish Cup in 2016 was the biggest scoreline since 1984, and they were promoted to the Lowland League in 2019. So Craig thinks he's got it. So Paul, do you want to have a shot before Craig comes out with it? I've got two two guesses.
1: I was going to go one Lithgow Rose, but then I thought, nah, Craig played there. And then something in the back of my mind, we had Brown Ferguson on. Had mentioned about a, a big one, so I'm glad I got to go them or Kelty. I'm going to go with on
2: Lithgow Rose. Wrong. See, I was, go- I was going to go Kelty. Is that wrong? Wrong.
0: It's Bonnie, Rig, Rose. Rose.
2: I, I, I swear to God, I thought I was actually, I that was the first team that came out of my mind, right? And I thought, surely they've been the Lonely a lot longer than that. But do you know what they did? They went from the East, didn't they? To the Lonely as part of that merger. Because what was the
0: result? Did they get beat the highest defeat or did they win? No, they, they beat Whitburn 6-1 in the 1966 Scottish Junior Cup final. So that's a joint record margin, the five-goal margin. And in the Scottish Senior Cup, they beat Burn Island Shipyard 14-0. When? Four years ago. I yeah.
2: When I was at going after me beat Inverness 13-1, I think it was, in the Senior Scottish Inverness thistle, I think it was just a, a junior team. Yeah. Some some crazy some crazy I think we're only one off the record. <sighs> yeah, he's
0: only. Well, Craig, thanks for thanks for joining us and uh, all the best for the for the season when uh, when it hopefully restarts. And uh great to get your stories and anecdotes and uh yeah to hear about the, the I mean it sounds a really exciting project at Syncaddock, so we uh yeah, thanks for coming on and we wish you all the best with that.
2: No, cheers guys, and, and just thanks for having us and, and just keep doing the, the excellent work that you do. It's brilliant guys. I love I love listening to down divisions and it's it's what we need more.
0: Thanks again to our sponsors 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer or video editor. And don't forget you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to, or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions.